All right, welcome everybody to episode 123 of the MX Vice Show. We have an action-packed show ready for you today as we build up to the MXGP of Portugal and take stock on the state of play in the series in general. I'm Ed Stratman, your host. First part of your show is brought to you by Parts Europe. All right, Parts Europe distributes spare parts, accessories and rider equipment for all motorbike segments in Europe. We support the sport is fortified through the Thor and Moose house brands and their support of world elite MX riders like Calvin Valandron, Jorge Prado, Simon Langenfelder, Guadagnini, Jonas, Bogers, and nine times world champ and Thor ambassador, Tony Cairoli. Your Parts Europe dealer has access to all the big brands for your motocross and enduro bike, Necken, Pro Circuit, FMF, ODI, Cycra, Renthal, Recluse, and many more in stock and ready to be shipped. Check out their website or contact your local Parts Europe dealer with a dealer network of over 10,000 shops. We're sure there is one close to you. All right, let's get cracking on the show. We've got special guest Jason Thomas. How are you, mate? How's life? I'm sure you get keeping busy with the Supercross, the grueling schedule, the racing's been good, your work's flat out. How How's life, mate? Yeah, it's been all right. Uh, three Supercrosses left, so I'm coming to you in between the New Jersey round and Nashville is, uh, is coming up. So you can see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but having said that, as soon as Supercross ends, we go straight into pro motocross. So um, it's more of just a transition than it is any sort of real break. Yeah, mate, you said you're doing a good job, mate. There's a bit of a strange one on the weekend. We'll just quickly get your thoughts on Anstey um, grabbing the win. Must have been pretty awesome. Um, yeah, it was great. Yeah, that- yeah, it was great. Um, you know, for for him, I think everybody was happy for him, right? He's such a nice guy, and he's arguably the best interview in the sport. So uh, that that was cool. And then, of course, the professional side for me, having a rider win uh, is always great. And you know, our rider lineup has been difficult the last couple of years. You know, we had all of these elder statesman type riders like Blake Baggett and Justin Brayton and Zach Osborne and Weston Pike, and all these guys have kind of retired, like they've aged out. So we've been trying to get younger. Um, it's been again, a transitional period for us as well, trying to line up our future. Uh, so to have Max come out of nowhere and win on that firepower Honda team first year was, uh, yeah, it was great. It was awesome. Unexpected somewhat. Um, maybe the mud should have given us a, a hint that it was going to happen, but, um, yeah, we'll, we will certainly take it and, and be happy and move on to Tennessee this coming weekend. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And, um, sort of moving along to MXGP, um, the sort of the main reason we're having this chat um last time we spoke was it just before riola and um a lot's happened since then and um it's been pretty amazing it's a really tight series we've got that breakaway group of four with um prado renault hurlings and fevra sort of looking like they're sort of rising to the top there what's what's your take in the state of play at the moment mate well i mean jeffrey's still i think trying to find his best form and we saw flash. We've seen flashes of it. Uh, I think that second moto in Trentino was clearly a defining moment as far as what he's capable of coming through the pack, being able to get to the front and really unchallenged, be able to, to pull away on a track that we wouldn't necessarily think is perfect for him or his riding style or the most likely win. Uh, you know, Prado has been great all season long. And when he gets out in front like that, I think everybody was like, okay, this is going to be between Jorge and, and Renault to sort out like who's going to win. It's going to be a great fight. We'll see what comes out on top. And then Jeffrey's just hunting them down and hunting them down. And uh, I think it was a little bit of message uh, sending as well to these guys is, you know, Jeffrey wasn't around at all last year. 
and I think he's trying to reestablish himself as the alpha in the class. I know he considers himself that, but he hasn't, you know, he's not leading the world championship. Um, we really haven't seen his best form yet. So I think everybody's like, well, if he gets back there, yes, we're, in, we're we might be in big trouble, but it, he hasn't really been able to harness that each and every week or each and every race. Uh, so we'll see how this goes. But to me, that was that was a pretty big race uh, as far as the championship goes. And it's really early. Uh, we've only had four rounds. Um, there's a lot of racing left to go. And you, I think you could steer that narrative either way. You could say, okay, well, it's really early and we don't really know if Jeffrey can stay healthy. Um, and he's, you know what, uh, let's see, 26 points down in the championship. Or you could look at it and say, well, He's 26 points down. He just put in his best ride of the championship in that end race two. Look how much better he's going to get from here over the course of the next several months. Um, so depending on your perspective, depending on which which color you happen to be wearing in the paddock, uh, you probably are steering that narrative a little bit. But everybody had to be very impressed with that race two from Jeffrey. And I think that's the story. Leaving that round, everybody is talking about Jeffrey Hurlings. And, you know, for good reason. It was It was really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And his start obviously got he was involved in that sort of pile up with February. But yeah, he's, it's been pretty impressive seeing those two moto charges at um, Riola and, and Trentino in the second ones to just carve through the pack. Um, he's obviously still getting up the fitness, getting up the intensity, still doing all these European races and in Holland and yep. France. And he's just trying to get that base level. And actually, quite amazing, he only won his first moto. That was his first moto win of the year, which seems a bit strange to say four in someone like her yeah. but um the signs are certainly ominous that he's he's putting it all together and when he drops the hammer i don't think anyone can really match him and then you've got the other side of the coin with with prado just managing things expertly banking points won three qualifying races and got three three two one for the overalls really smooth consistent he's had that really good pre-season with smets and training with adamo and he's got that base in like so many you know, years he's missed with injuries and lots of bad, like, you know, illness. So he's, he's finally getting that continuity and it's showing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I always wonder at, you know, these early rounds, the weather is very cool. Um, there's really no sun or humidity or harsh conditions to speak of. Uh, but as we get into summer, we get some of the hotter rounds. I always wonder about Prado and maybe that's not fair. I wonder, can he maintain this, this, elite level all the way through the summer as the conditions get more difficult. And to me, he's always been more of the finesse rider where his technique and his sprint speed are just at times light years above everyone else. Uh, but to me, that's when Jeffrey will start to shine a bit. His just incredible fitness level and training and all those things, especially as he continues to recover, that's where he starts to show up and you get into some of these, summer rounds where it's going to be hot and humid and rough and sandy. Uh, I think Jeffrey just has such an advantage in those conditions. And maybe this is the year that Prado changes that tone and we start to say, okay, well, he can do it too. But to me, as I look and the, and the season starts to drag on, I wonder how much wear and tear Prado can put up with uh, versus some of these more veteran guys that have, they've, they've won these MXGP championships before. I kind of know they're going to be around. I know that they thrive and excel in the really harsh conditions. And that's, that's, it's more of a question. I don't have a preconceived notion about how that's going to go for Prado. It's just a big question I have. Can he maintain a points lead through the hardest days where it's 
it's everything you have because I've seen it go the other way for him. I've seen him falter and, and there's sickness. And I know there have been underlying reasons for it, but can he stay healthy? Can he buck that trend that has really unwound any championship chance he's had over the last couple of seasons? Yeah, that's a really good point you make. And, you know, these guys, you know, a lot of established guys, they've got those bases. They're, they're you know, demonic competitors. They're just savages. So it would be interesting to see how he stacks up. And obviously heading to Portugal, he, he won there last year, his only GP win. And um, obviously we've had four different winners from the four rounds and we had seven winners last year. And it's, there's, there's a lot of parity going on. The thing, like, it's nice and close. And and I wanted to get your take on someone like Renault. Uh, he's been excellent, consistent. Had a couple of issues in those first two rounds, trying to find the balance, um, trying to find the limit. Um, spoke to him after that Swiss win, and he was happy with it. He still knew there was work to do, a little bit more work to do with the bike. One of those sort of guys that's never happy, never settles, trains hard, got a really cool background. Um, you know, he was saying about how his dad used to get up at 4 a.m., run the butcher shop, work on his bikes till till late at night, and that's where he got that mentality and that drive to succeed. So it's great to see him doing so well obviously won that mx2 world championship a couple of years ago now and just yeah. really tough competitor isn't he he's pretty brutal he loves it doesn't he in the trenches yeah and he's been a rider i was wrong about for so long and i just i didn't see it coming when he won his mx2 world championship uh i still thought it would come down to tom bial and yago that year and uh renault was a complete surprise to me and then he made the decision to move to the mxgp class and I thought that was also a mistake. And he proved me wrong by coming out of the shoot and, and battling for race wins. So I've kind of switched my approach to it. I just was honestly tired of being wrong about him. And I, I underestimated him at every turn. So now I'm, I'm very high on him. Like he's at some point you just have to admit, okay, I was just wrong. And this guy's a lot better than I gave him credit for. And that's kind of where I am now. Um, you know, the question for him is, can he, can you remove some of the big mistakes and you look at, okay, why is he not winning races? Why is he not winning championships? And it's just some of the, the crashes that he's had that have really done him in. Um, doesn't mean that's always going to be the same thing, but if you just look at a why, okay, why did, he, why was he not in championship contention at the end of the year? It's because of the crashes. Like he had some really big get offs that set him back. Uh, it's not the speed. It's not the pace. It's not the fitness. Um, so that's what I'll be watching for week in and week out. You have to kind of stay there. And that doesn't mean you have to win. But you have you can't go you know have a race win and in the second moto you get 14th. That that's not going to work uh, when you have the likes of Jeffrey and Prado, who's been so incredibly consistent. And I think Febro will con continue to improve too. You're going to need to be there week in and week out. Um, there's not just one competitor. There are several that you have to worry about. Not so unlike what we're seeing in Monster Energy Supercross, where it's not just two guys; it's three now. So you can't just focus in on one guy. You have to be worried about several guys and that's kind of where i think mxgp is as well so renault yeah I, I have nothing but great things to say i don't know if this will be the year where he breaks out and can and can carry this same form you know for the six month stretch that is mxgp uh but i think long term he will be uh you look at his age you look at it's just still how inexperienced he is but then you compare that to the level he's performing at and it's it's really hard not to be optimistic about what lies ahead for him yeah, well said. He he certainly, he was worried. The only the main thing he was worried about was those qualifying races because obviously he wants to manage the weekends, get the podium, bank the points. And I think in Switzerland it was. He won the GP, but Prado still got more points. He got the most yeah. points. So he was like, I'm, I kind of have to start getting better on Saturdays because that's the, the state of play with the the new points. 
format and um what what do you think on the new qualifying points it's thrown a bit of a, a curve curveball in and it's definitely you know suiting some and impacting some negatively yeah. well it's, i i think the obvious benefactor here has been Jorge Prado um and and on paper before the season even started you would you would think that would be the case too so that's coming to fruition it's exactly how we thought it would be he's such a proficient starter he's so good on the first one, two, three laps. And if you can be that good in the first one, two, three laps, half the race is over. Uh, so he's gaining a ton of points there. And if he can find a way to be world champion in 2023, I would have to point to that and say that was the main difference. Now there are 70 minutes of racing that has to go on after that. And, and of course, that's a major, major factor too. But the tipping point, I think, is those extra points that are up for grabs that he is making the most of right now. He is consistently at the front and if he continues that trend for a rider like Jeffrey or Maxime or Roman or whoever ends up being his biggest competitor, that's a really hard obstacle to overcome. It's just him stacking up those 10 points every Saturday, every Saturday, every Saturday. It's really difficult. You just leave yourself no room for error on Sunday. You really can't screw up. And if let's assume that Prado has really great weekends, uh, you know, he, he'll probably be great in Spain. He'll probably be great in Portugal that makes it even the, the more tough, right? Because we know he's going to be great on Saturday and then he's going to have these weekends where he's great on Sunday. He could really extend a points week. He could, he could do a lot of damage in just one weekend. And it puts a lot of pressure on the other guys to win for Jeffrey, for instance, when he goes to Lommel or to, to Holland or any of these, he's going to have to be perfect. Like that, it just adds more to the pressure. You've got a rider who has a points lead that has this significant edge on Saturdays that might also have great Sundays. And you're just like, okay, I don't have a, a choice here other than just be perfect on certain weekends. So it, it certainly has added a different dynamic to it. Um, there's a wrinkle that didn't really persist there. And I like to look back at, you know, when you look at the GPs 30 years ago, there were these 40 plus two races. And I remember racing, I raced some US GPs. I watched them and the pace was, it was interesting to watch unfold because the pace gradually picked up over the course of 45 minutes and GP. And that was just the way it was done. The early laps guys kind of sorted it out. There was no real urgency. You didn't see guys having much intensity at the beginning. And I think the Americans really capitalized on that. When you looked at motocross the nations and these events, the Americans came out of the box, just ready to go. And they would, they would gap the Europeans early. Well, over time, MXGP has kind of corrected that and the urgency is there early on and, and that's changed. But Prado is like the complete antithesis of that old school thing. Like he is just so good right out of the gate. Uh, Ken Roxon is another guy. Obviously he was, you know, he, he was in MXGP and MX2 for a long time or MX2 for a long time. Uh, but it's to me, the contrast of that and to see there is no bigger sign to me of the change that has undergone MXGP in the past 30 years than that dynamic. And, and most of you listening probably were too young to remember it, but it was definitely a thing where they would just, it was like this slow boil. And by the last few laps, they were flat out as fast as they could possibly go to where now you have your MXGP points leader. That is a true sprinter right out of the gate. And he has that fast twitch muscle that you, you hear these sprint athletes talk about all the time. Um, he is incredibly good at that. So it's, it's really shown what, the transition from old school MXGP to new school MXGP has completely undergone. Yeah. It must be challenging for the, for his competitors, obviously, 
you're kind of in damage limitation mode for the motos after if he, he win those qualifying races. Would that, yep. as a race, would that be something that would be sort of playing on your mind quite heavily and putting a bit of added pressure on you at the gate? Because you also know he's going to start. Yeah, I think you just have to, you can't be lulled to sleep a bit on Saturdays because I think for years, right, if, if you've been an MXGP veteran, Saturday's kind of been, eh, what we're going to do, okay, if I, if I have a fifth plate, gate position or first or eighth it's not that big of a deal i'm gonna have a pretty good gate you know it's just gonna because remember they're starting off a grid so it's not like one gate is better than the other anything it's just a little bit each sliding one way or another along the the line there so it's not a huge deal but now it is right there's so much more emphasis put on this saturday's racing and they're going to be able to look back and say well this championship came down to a certain certain few things. And if, if Saturday is one of those, because you didn't put enough emphasis on performing on Saturday, that would be a real tragedy. Right. And that you'd only have yourself to blame. You knew this was coming, you knew the format. Uh, but I, I think it's, it's changed. It's changed things a little bit. Um, guys that can sprint well, guys that are great starters, they in an overall championship that lasts months and months, they have more of an edge than they've ever had this Saturday dynamic has really tilted the tilted things in their favor just a tiny bit it's not something that anyone can't overcome uh, but it's definitely given them a little bit of an edge that they didn't have before yeah it's definitely been a game changer and looking at um someone you mentioned earlier fever obviously he's coming off arm pump surgery prior to the season just before hawkstone he had that and um he's been building quite nicely some consistent rides obviously really accomplished rider former world champion great on all surfaces um, really good in Switzerland. Obviously, he won the qualifying race in Trentino and looked just like he was set up for a for a win. Like he he loves those kind of tracks. He can handle them so well. Um, he's really good when he's pushing. He's a great rider to watch. Um, obviously, he was in the involved in that first turn. Yeah. How have you seen his season so far? Obviously, probably if he had a better race in Switzerland, he just couldn't get past people. He was just struggling, stuck behind Prado, just stuck behind yeah. different guys, and just I reckon he'd be a bit frustrated, but considering where he's come from, probably quite happy with how the riding's been. Sure. And and I think you said it there. I think that race one in Trentino changed how we're looking at the season right now, because if he doesn't have that rough first mode, he's just say it's an average score. He gets a third or a fourth or, or something like that. You add another 10 or 12 points to a score in race one. And now he's sitting third in points ahead of Jeffrey Hurlings. And he's only, I don't know, 20 points out of the championship lead. So it's, it, it looks and feels a bit different than he's sitting there now, 35 points out. Um, and that's, it, there's going to be that. There's going to be push pulls, you know, ups and downs and roller coaster a little bit throughout a championship that is this long. Uh, so it's, it's, I think, problematic to make judgments four rounds in, uh, especially when you have an outlier race one where he gives up a ton of points, you know, uh, gives up 16 points to Jorge Prado in race one there. That That's a big deal when he's down 35, right? Half of your points deficit was in one 35-minute race. So things can can change pretty dramatically. Um, I like to look a little bit big picture. Is he riding well? Is he on the pace to win? And I would say yes. I think he can win. His Trentino ride was evident of that. And you look over his other scores – he was second right out of the first moto first race of the year. He gets a second. He's been running around that top five the entire time. So I think he is a championship contender. Um, it's just going to be, can he maybe get on a, a string where he wins a few GPs in a row? 
Um, and can he remove that critical first turn crash, which sometimes it's not your fault. These things just happen. Uh, but he's got a little bit of work to do. He's down 35. But I, I think the riding this early with so much racing left, the form and all of that will will weigh more heavily than maybe just four rounds in. The, the form is the most important thing right now to me. Yeah, he's, he's looking good. Like, it's just so hard. Um, obviously, we've had four very different tracks, a um, lot of sort of opinions on them, and especially the Swiss one, the few riders were, were saying it's a bit basic. It's a bit like a, a field with jumps, um, this kind of thing. Um, what, have, what have you been, your take on the four tracks so far? Obviously, they're quite uh, sort of, they're sort of it's sort of the series hasn't really sort of settled into a groove with some of those more established tracks with um you know us going to a few different places here and there but um have you have you enjoyed them so far they've sort of thrown some good challenges up for the riders yeah we've gotten a uh, we've run the gamut a little bit right we've we've been in south america we've been on hard pack we've been in sand and sardinia we've been to trentino which is a really to me it's a really challenging track because it's a bit one-lined tractions at a premium you see, we've seen some of the biggest crashes in the sport at Trentino because I think the, the tractions that just can step away from you. And the track forces you to be really aggressive, but the dirt isn't really conducive to being aggressive. So it's, there's kind of this divergence there that can cause some pretty big crashes. Um, so, yeah, it's been, I think, a pretty good representation of maybe what we're going to see throughout because we've had a little bit of everything, different continents, different surfaces. Um but again, I, I come back to, I think the, the players have established themselves and you start looking at the points and how big the gaps are getting. Um, you know, uh, obviously guys like Jeremy Sewer and Coldenhoff, we thought would be a little bit more relevant than they've been so far, but the, the points are getting a little bit scary for some of these guys. You know, uh, Coldenhoff is 81 points out of the lead already. Um, so yeah, again, I hate drawing conclusions this early, but you start looking at the the sheer amount of points that have to be made up. And I come back to, it's not just one guy, you know, if Prado had a 50 point lead over everyone and then there, everyone was bunched up together. I'd say, well, anything can kind of happen because what if Prado crashes a couple times, then he's back with the group and then it's wide open again. When everybody's started spacing themselves, but there's a, a group of four that look like they're going to separate themselves, not only riding and form wise, but also in the points. Um, I think that's a pretty good indicator of what we're going to see down the stretch here. Yeah, and obviously someone like Jeremy Sewer is just, yeah, he's nearly 100 points back. Been an absolute nightmare yep. start to the season. He probably came in as the favourite, um, you know, ahead of round one. Everything was trending in the right direction. Loving that new streamlined Yamaha. Um, just crashes, mistakes. I suppose the one thing he can be glad is he's still healthy because those, those have been yep. some big ones, hasn't they? Yeah, and really for Jeremy at this point, and, and I don't know him very well, I, I cheer for him as I like him. I think he's very personable. Um, and you look at his career trajectory, he came from nowhere. He's a very unlikely GP winner in my opinion. Um, so that, yeah, I, I like cheering for him. And I think really for him at this point, you just try to go win races. You know, the, the points are what they are. If I was him, I would just stop looking at, you know, the overall classifications and I would just go out and every time you line up, say, I'm going to, I'm going to try to win this race. And if things start going your way, and you're at halfway of the season or, you know, okay, maybe we'll let's look at the points again. Let's see how things are going. But I don't think it's going to do you any service by looking now. You're just going to add to the frustration and you're going to have this insurmountable gap ahead of you. But if you know you're capable, you know, you're on factory equipment, there's no reason why you shouldn't be in podium contention week in and week out. Just focus on that. Focus on what you can control. 
what's already happened is done. You know, maybe you can start to claw some points back, but each weekend is a, is a brand new opportunity to kind of change the outlook on the season and how your sponsors and how your team is viewing your performance. Uh, yeah. So I, that's, I've been in that spot where things have gone just terribly to start a season. And if you spend too much time focusing on that, it's really hard to be optimistic about what's to come. Uh, so yeah, you just have to kind of block all that out, forget about it, stop looking at the points, don't watch old races and just worry about what's ahead of you. Yeah, it's a nice outlook to take because, uh, yeah, you got to take the positives out of that situation. And I think he, he's done over 170 straight GPs. So just staying yeah. up and staying healthy is half the battle a lot of the time. So it'll be just interesting to see if he rises up through. And just a quick thoughts on someone like Ruben Fernandez, obviously super fast on the tracks that suit him. Sandy had a pretty rough day at Riola, lots of crashes. Not bad speed, but just the mistakes yeah. come back to bite him in those ones. Um, looking quite good. And another guy we'll touch on is Calvin Blandron. Must be I'm being yep. very impressed with him. All services, obviously, to Sandy was getting held up by Jeffrey, which was quite a unique uh, thing to see. <laughs> right. Getting frustrated, stuck behind some guys. Um, obviously, not on elite equipment, on a private team. Um, factory ride beckons for him, surely, if he keeps this up. Yeah, and, and Ruben first, he is so incredibly fast and talented, but uh, the crashes are the problem. Uh, it's not something that's new. It's This isn't a new development for him or anything. He, I think for him to be a best self, he has to take lots of chances and he has to push the envelope a bit. Um, and that leads to chances. Yeah, when you get to tracks that are a bit sketchier and you're on the edge of the tire all the time. You saw his crash at Trentino where he's just kind of losing the front for like 10 feet before <laughs> he goes down. That's, you know, that's a prototypical just trying to find traction and, and being a little bit over the line, right? You're just a little bit too aggressive in a, in a scenario. But I think it's, it's a really tough one for him because for him to battle at the front, he has to push like that. He, he isn't Jeffrey Hurlings where Jeffrey can ride within himself and just ride to the front and yeah, sorry, I'm just better than everybody. That's why I've won a hundred GPs. Um, so it's, it's a really tough ask because what is the lesser of two evils backing it down a little bit, finishing every moto, but getting eight or knowing you're going to crash sometimes and knowing mistakes are going to catch you out, but you're going to maybe win a race or be on the podium at times. So it's, it's really challenging. And that's a story as old as time when it comes to motocross and supercross, you've seen riders that they're willing to take all those chances because they know the rewards are so great, but there's also a, a really present and negative cat, you know, a, a result that's waiting for them too. And they, they know they're going to get both. They know they're going to have great results on days. They know they're going to have big crashes and DNFs and the issues that come with, with pushing that envelope too. And that's just where I see Ruben at now, the magic is can he find a way to harness that speed and somehow allow it to be within his acceptable range of risk? And guys can do that. They get more comfortable with the pace. They, whether it's through fitness or testing, or maybe the motorcycle improves uh, and it's not so risky all the time. And I think that's before this season, I think that's where Jeremy Sewer had gotten to. Jeremy found a way. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm good with the pace now. I can be a top three guy week in and week out without these huge crashes and without all these issues. Um, and that's, it, it's not for everyone. Not everybody can kind of figure it out. Uh, so that's, I think the next step for Ruben is to harness that speed, understand what it takes to be at the front, but for it to be a repeatable, sustainable thing, not this one-off, I'm just going to go wide open until I crash or win type thing, uh, because there's just not 
there's not a lot of longevity in that and it's not really sustainable or else you're going to end up in plaster. That's just kind of how those things end. So uh, on Calvin, Calvin's not really that guy. Calvin to me rides more within himself. Um, he's very opportunistic when he gets the right conditions, he gets a start, he, he knows what to do with it. Uh, but really when you look at his results, it hasn't been these outlandish performances that, have, you know, he's sixth in points, which is really great. It's been more the consistency. He's just been there every time. He's just racking up top 10 moto scores week in and week out. And when and you look at the field, it's deep, right? Like guys like Guadagnini and some of these guys are, look like they're riding incredibly well and they're sitting in 13th. And it, you can't make any sense of it. Like, how is that possible? Uh, so for Calvin, it's just been a consistency game. You know, if he just keeps logging in the points, maybe you leave the weekend and outside of Riola, no one's maybe talking about him. But then you start scanning the classification like, wow, like there's Calvin again. And then there's Calvin again. And you go through that week in and week out and you end up being ahead of guys like Glenn Koldenhoff, right? He's five points ahead of him in the championship. And I'm sure he would love to have Glenn Koldenhoff's salary and equipment and all those things. Of course he would. Um, but this is how you do it. You build consistency and then you try to slowly start grinding up the leaderboard with that consistency until – yeah, it's impressive seeing him beating so many of these factory guys and just take him back to Ruben. It's obviously he's probably in a difficult spot with, with guys around injury. He probably wants to put his best yep. foot forward. They didn't fill in guys' roles, so a lot of the focus and attention's on him. But, you know, like you well, said... pressure, they, pressure. Yeah, yeah. pressure and, and wanting to... The team obviously want him to be out there because they want a presence. And then he's trying yep. to do everything he can. And he's one of those guys that he, he's he's going all in most of the time. And, yeah, finding... See if yeah. he can get those limits will be fascinating. And look, just looking down before we before we wrap it up, because I know you've got to go, but um, who do you think the next podium's going to come from? Do we think um, Guadagnini's going to grab one? Do you think Ferrato's on the on the cusp? And obviously, Gio's been doing really well the last two rounds on those harder surfaces on a pretty... He said it was a very stock bike. Um, in an interview, he said, yeah, nothing really much else to it. It's stock. Um but then I spoke to Adam Sterry last week and he said, yeah, it's stock, but that's his choice to have it stock. So it's, uh, it's yeah. funny how you hear different things, but um, <laughs> right. yeah, we, we were, Ben Watson had a quite a good ride. He, he ran up there for a bit and he, yeah, he was really and, good there for a bit. Yeah. Yep. Some new yep. parts on I think the way. In a, yep. Yeah. And in an individual race, uh, I think Mattia can do it. Uh, we've seen him do it. You look at his motocross nations rides, you look at in the right conditions. Um, to me, it's very start dependent for him. I don't expect him to start ninth and move up to third, but if you give him a whole shot, he's comfortable at the front. Um, and I don't know that that's just an individual mentality type thing. Some riders are better starting from the rear and moving forward. Some riders are better starting from the front and defending from, from there. Uh, so I think he could definitely do it. But for me, as a, as far as an overall classification on a weekend, I think Jeremy's due. Uh, I, I, when I look at it, I'm like, none of these races really make sense. He's better than this. And given enough time, results usually revert back to the mean. And he's going to find himself near the front again. So um, I think right now he just needs to kind of ride this thing out. You know, it's been a just a culmination of lots of different things, mistakes and first-turn crashes and all these things that have kind of caught him out. But over time, those things equal out and you find yourself near the front again. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to win. But I think you're going to see the 91 running around in the top three again very soon, just because that's that's the rider he is. That's that's the level he's on. It just hasn't seemed to work out so far. Yeah, well said. And just uh, just quickly touch on MX2. Uh, obviously, Yago's got quite a healthy lead, which was trimmed off a little bit um, 
on the weekend, obviously yep. that that crash, which is uh sort of scuppered him in past us quite heavily. And then you've got Adamo who had his first GP win, which was really cool to see. And then Everts as well getting his first podium. So great weekend for the KTM guys. I spoke to both of them. Great day, happy with the bike. Everything's going in the in the right direction. And probably Adamo's yep. surprising a few people. Um speaking to him pre-season, he was just wanted to do the races, stay fit, stay healthy, get the base working with Smiths. Um mixing his time between Belgium and Rome. So he's he's really working on that sand and he's just logging the points and taking as it comes, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And, and it's great to be opportunistic like that. Uh, my opinion is that Finistant and Yago are the best two riders in the class. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're going to win every race. That doesn't mean they're not going to have their own fair share of issues or crashes or bad starts or whatever. So whether you are Langenfelder or Adamo or Liam Everts or whoever, you have to be ready to seize the opportunity when it arises. And if, if we know anything about Yago, he's going to open the door at times. He crashes. You look at Portugal last year, he did a front flip, right? And these things that don't really make sense seem to happen to him. I do believe he ends up being your world champion this year. And I think by a wide margin, but that doesn't mean on a random afternoon somewhere in Europe, he's not going to open the door just like he did in Trentino for a race win. Uh, so that if I'm them and, and you're young and you understand the situation that Yago's been at the very tip, you know, he's the tip of the spear in this class for the last four years, you know, it's going to be tough to beat him, but you also know there are going to be days like when he goes down, you see him, you have to immediately be on your best form and your best game because you know, a win is in the cards there. And the same, same for Benistan. He's very, very good under particular conditions, but not everywhere, right? He's, he's good. But he's not his. He's not world class, MX2 world champion level in every single condition. Um, so it's a difficult thing to learn. Me sitting here on the back end of a 15 year career, plus watching for another 10, I can sense those moments. But asking an 18 year old to, hey, you got to know and be aware and have this keen sense of like, okay, the door's open now. I have to push. It's it's harder. Um, so you're gonna see who can figure that out in the moment who can't um, yeah for for Andrea that was a that was a great day i'm sure KTM was over the moon because i'm sure they didn't expect that they know that they still have young riders and uh, yeah for austria that was that was a great day in italy yeah i really like your opinion on the the opportunities that need to be taken because you saw yago crash twice dead last in the first you know first couple of turns and he came back and got 14 points so the yep. damage limitation yeah. is good so yeah you got to be on your game and take it when you can and just a quick word on DeWolf. Um, he wants to be podiums every round. Got the speed, got the talent. Um, doing pretty well so far. He wants more, no yep. doubt. But you've been impressed so far. Do you reckon he can step it up and be a legitimate contender? I'll be honest. I, I expected more than we've gotten from him. Um, I think there's more to come. I do think he is a multi-race winner before it's all said and done. Possibly MX2 world champion. He's going to have tough competition for that. But when you look at how good he has been so young, um, I just think he has more to show us. And this year hasn't gotten off to the start he wanted. But I think as we go through the season, he's going to find race. We, we know how you know competent he is in the sand. Doesn't mean that he can beat Yago. But I think some of these rounds that are upcoming, we get to the more traditional tracks in Europe that he's ridden a lot. Um, he's going to be great. And, uh, but to your question, yeah, I've, I've been a little bit disappointed. I, I thought he would have won races and be more in championship contention than we've seen. I really thought he was one of the 
best three or four guys in the class. I still do. It just the results haven't quite been there to the to the level that I expected. And you're probably in the same boat with Langenfeld and not the start of the season he would have liked. Obviously, yeah, struggled a little bit. He obviously got that really good that win and that was good for yeah. him. And he knows he knows what he's he's capable of, but yeah, hasn't hasn't gone to plan. And just a quick word on Lucas Kuhn and obviously haven't hasn't had the results to reflect his speed, but the riding's been pretty amazing. Starts have been terrible, but he's come back through the field on many occasions. And I think yeah. um, him and his brother Sasha's coming back this weekend from injury. So should be a good one to see those guys this weekend to try and build on what they what they've got. Yeah, and then, you know what? It's so typical of the younger riders, right? It's it's very difficult, in my opinion, for these kids to just show up and be world championship contenders on different continents and different surfaces against all these riders. You're going to see flashes of brilliance, and you're going to also see days where you're kind of scratching your head, wondering, "Well, that didn't really seem." like what I expected. Um, but that's youth and that's inexperience and that's the growing process that these riders are going to go through. Um, and you know, it's not EMX anymore. It's MX two. You're, you're up against all of the previous EMX world champions. That's how this goes. You know, that's the part of the graduate graduating process as you level up and you're racing against, Oh yeah. All the guys I'm racing with now, they won the level I just left. Okay, great. Now we're going to see who's the best of all of these champions that just moved up again. And it's just this leveling up process. And it's really hard to stay at the very, the you know, cream of the crop of that level as you keep going up. Um, but I, yeah, there's a, there's a ton of talent that's still really young. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a constant test of who can continue to improve their game. And then it only gets harder from here because they haven't even probably started thinking about MXGP. They've just, you know, like for the Kunins, they've just gotten to MX2. And now they're being asked to battle with the likes of Yago, who gave Eli Tomac and Chase Sexton and these guys all they wanted at Motocross the Nations in America, right? So it just shows you the, the talent level that you're mm-hmm. dealing with and what they're being asked to to kind of face up to. Yeah, especially as a 16-year-old, it uh, must be quite intimidating yeah. at the start. And yeah, just no before um, we wrap it up, uh, predictions for this weekend in Portugal, mate. And I think there's Spain uh, the weekend after. Who have you... Who have you got coming away from this little stretch um, in both classes? So I was fortunate enough to go to Portugal, and uh, the track is extremely difficult to pass on. From I what think they're I running it backwards this year. There's a few alterations okay. at both tracks, so yep. it'll be interesting. Yep. And and uh, you know, backwards, forwards, the layouts are similar, right? Where they yep. the the corners in either direction funnel into kind of one line, and if you can maintain your momentum, it's just really challenging to pass. So those, you know. Both the layout for Portugal being so one lined and then Spain as a as a whole really line up nicely for Prado. So if I'm Jeffrey, I think you have to be laser focused on the task at hand because you can't let Prado go on a two week spree here and push, uh, you know, a 21 point lead out to 40. Like that's not that that's not acceptable. And it could happen. It could absolutely happen before you realize what you know, what went on. Uh, so I think he he needs to be on his game early. He needs to send a message to uh, Prado on Saturday. I think that's really really important. Is you're coming off this incredible ride in Trentino, immediately follow that up with a qualifying win on Saturday. That would send such a strong message, like oh well, Jeffrey's back now, so we're all in big 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 trouble. You know that to me that's that's really important. Is that that mental game that they're always playing, right? No one talks about it, but it's. It's it's this ongoing chess match mentally of who has the leverage and who has the confidence. And they all know 
that a 100% capable and healthy Jeffrey is something that they don't want to see. Um, so he wants, whether he's there or not, I think he would even argue he's probably, I'm working towards getting back to it. If you can send a message that, you know, I, I'm here, I'm here now. I think that's, that's a really critical, like a, almost like a pivotal moment as far as where the momentum starts to shift. So um, I think that's, that's really where it comes down to the rest of the guys. I don't, I think it's more of kind of a neutral couple of rounds, but to me, this challenge between Prado trying to establish himself as a, I'm the guy to beat in MXGP now. And then Jeffrey going, no, no, I've been the guy to beat in MXGP for five years. So yeah, let's, let's not forget about that. Um, that to me is the, the most, I think, intriguing part of this is the kind of, they're kind of a battling for dominance a little bit, right? And it, it seems a little like they were talking about in a jungle or animal kingdom or something, but realistically they are like, they both are riding for the same Austrian parent group. Right. And they have Red Bull and they have all these things and okay, which one of us is the number one guy who's the alpha here. Right. And they, they have to sort that out on Saturday and Sunday, but I think that's the kind of the, the bat, the race within a race type thing. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to, to tune in. And are you coming back to some, uh, back to Europe at some, at some stage, do some commentary just for, um, I hope so. Yeah. My, my schedule is really packed right now. Um, we, we go straight into pro motocross. So yes, um, I will be there at some point this summer and then, you know, late in the fall from across the nations and all that stuff too. But for me, it's more now is like, how can I possibly make all these things work? Um, I need a clone or like a body <laughs> double. Um, that would, that would help a lot. And nations you'll be at nations in an A for yeah, sure. For sure. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome, mate. It should, should be a good one. And, um, just quick, what's the rest of the week looking like for you now? Straight to the next round, no doubt. Yeah, so I'm at the office now, um, just doing normal fly racing business, um, and then head over to Nashville on Thursday evening, and then we're right back to the races again. And it's funny, I every week, you know, I come back to our office, and we have this great company at Western Power Sports of everybody's enthusiasts, everybody rides and is into it. And you know, on Monday morning, they're just like, "How was the weekend? How was the race?" And I'm, I, you know, I'm tired, and I just I haven't really had a day off and I'm like I have to try to check myself a little bit because I'm just like it's just is the same like they're always the same the racing when I actually get to watch the racing okay that's different but everything else about it is the same we go we set up we talk to customers where we entertain our dealers and all those things I get back on an airplane I go to the hotel I do you know it's it's just this rinse repeat of you know and I again I really try to understand how fortunate I am but man this time of the year, every April, everybody to a person is just walking through the airport like half awake, mm. just struggling to kind of keep this thing going at this point. Yeah, you're four months in, mate. And it's yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the um, MX Vice show. And before we um, wrap it up, we'll just quickly give a shout out to the sponsors in AS3 Performance Parts, the home of Aftermark Motocross and Enduro Parts from hardware and protection parts, including skid plates and radiator braces to performance cooling parts silicon radiator hoses and oversized impeller kits as3 have you covered for all um for all things you need really yeah, check them out online at as3performance.co.uk and special shout out to kawasaki motors uk the announcement of their arrival of the klx 140r range um which is a really great motorcycle so great for juniors great for seniors whatever you're looking for that that's a good one to get going with and contact your local off-road dealership for more information so thanks Thanks, Jason, for joining us on this episode of the MX Vice Show. And um, we look forward to speaking to you soon, mate. Sounds good. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, mate.